Blog Talk Radio. Black Politics Today. An eye for what's at stake in global politics and your source for the social, economic, and political impact of public policy on the African-American community. Your host, Kelly Michael Williams, is a political strategy veteran with an undefeated campaign record and the political experience that spans nearly three decades, from Mayor Willie Brown in California to President Barack Obama in our nation's capital. So get ready for a fresh and honest approach on the politics that affect you and your family the most. Now, your host, Kelly Michael Williams. TV 
or anything of that nature. And I just felt led to do it. And so I, I'm grateful and I'm thankful. I'm glad we're here. I'm glad of your support and for your support, and especially those of my guests who come on each and every week um, to just to support and help out and help us understand exactly what's at stake. Because America, Black America, people, if you haven't figured out by now that everything is at stake, the old, I think we were asked a few years ago, what do we have to lose? If you haven't figured out what the heck we have to lose by now, there's really something wrong. Um, and I'm praying and hoping that through this broadcast and others like it, through our magazine, through our, our uh, website and other platforms that we're using, we can help you understand exactly what you had to lose, what you have to lose, and what you will continue to lose if you don't wake up and pay attention to what's going on. Um, and as we prepare for tonight's broadcast, it dawned on me that uh, conservatives always like to blame the government for the problems when things go wrong. They always say that we want to keep government out of our, you know, out of our families, out of our pocketbooks and things of that nature. But they always seem, Republicans go to state legislatures and Congress to defund, debunk, disrupt, disconnect the government, either state or federal or local. But then when we have things like this, they want to pass the buck along. They want to suggest that it, it, it's, it's not government's responsibility to step in and take over to lead on a situation. Uh, it's the state's responsibility. But is this not a national pandemic? This, this is something that's happening nationally in every 50 states. It's not one state. It's not three states or 10 states. It's not even 22 states. It's 51 states, because I'm counting DC, plus our territories, you know, it's in every territory, state in the United States of America, in America, in North America. It's everywhere. And it's global. So help me understand why this test tube baby down at 1600 is saying, oh, well, that's the states. They need to worry about it. Because if I remember correctly, when President Obama was attempting to ensure that everybody in America had health care coverage, they fought it. They called it unconstitutional. And to this day, they're still fighting to get rid of the Affordable Care Act. To this day, they're, they're, in, they're in court right now. They are just delaying the hearing because it's an election year. But they're in court right now trying to get rid of the Affordable Care Act. This country is in a national pandemic. Every state in the land is affected and impacted by the coronavirus. And the one entity supposed to oversee the entire nation and help us when this something goes wrong, whether it be Katrina or something of that nature, when we have national emergencies, which I believe, the last I checked, this fool declared a national emergency. That was probably the smartest thing he did. And yet, he's sitting back saying, well, no, no, it's the state's responsibility to get their own ventilators. No, 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 it's the state's responsibility to get their own, their own uh, uh, protective gear. Uh, it's, it's the state's responsibility to, to worry about, you know, what goes on. But yet when he saw the stock market go down, when he saw the stock market fall, then it became, oh, well, we have to do something about it because that's a national issue. So it's, it's national when it comes to his reelection. It's national when it comes to his cronies and his friends that he wants to help. But otherwise, it's the state. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't it? the federal government who handles national issues. It's the federal government that handles national pandemics, national 
epidemics, national disasters, aren't, isn't that the federal government that handles all that? Because if I'm not mistaken, the White House Congress is supposed to step in and help mitigate the problems and help American citizens deal with and cope with the issues that are occurring. And yet this White House has become so negligent and careless in how they're handling this pandemic that no one can ever say that this dude, and I will never refer to him as anything other than dude or test tube baby, has led this country or led this nation in any meaningful, meaningful way and to tell the American people that we don't need testing. They're, they're going out there saying, oh, we're doing great testing. We, we've done more testing in America. Well, yeah, if you want to say that the states have done the testing, but we need testing on a national level. We need testing across the board everywhere, and we're not getting the testing. We're not getting that testing done. And then I found this. Jared Kushner. Jared Kushner said uh, apparently on April 2nd, which I'm missing. It should have been on April 1st because to hear this, I'm going to play it twice for you. To hear what this fool, this dude, had to say is absolutely crazy, and it shows you exactly what's going on down at 1600. Listen to this. The notion of the federal stockpile is supposed to be our stockpile. It's not supposed to be state stockpiles that they then use. The notion of the federal stockpile is supposed to be our stockpile. It's not supposed to be state stockpiles that they then use. The notion of the federal stockpile is supposed to be our stockpile. It's not supposed to be state stockpiles that they then use. So here's what he said, because he, he talks very fast. So just in case you missed it and didn't understand it, I don't know what the question was. I was trying to pull it up and find it, but I was able to find that one little clip. He said, the notion of the federal stockpile, meaning the federal government stockpile of, of, of um, ventilators, of masks, and all those things, it's supposed to be our stockpile, meaning ours, White House, federal government. It's not supposed to be the state stockpile that they can use. I'm sorry. What the Mickey flick did you just say? The federal stockpile is our stockpile? It's not supposed to be for the state stockpile? Who in the Sam Jiggity put this fool in charge of anything? Remember, this is the guy who's supposed to be in charge of our uh, peace over in the Middle East. He's supposed to be in charge of our infrastructure here in America, and he's supposed to be in charge of something else, and he's on this task force, no medical degree, no medical anything. We don't know what kind of degree, if any, that he has. And he's actually in the White House press room telling the American people and the states and the governors, no, you can't have our stockpile. That's for us to use. That's what we have. That, that's ours. I'm sorry. Is not the federal government supposed to support and assist the states when they're in, necess when they're in need? This White House has felt that this virus was a national emergency. They declared a national emergency, and yet they aren't addressing the national need. Trump has called for that this says this is a war. If this is a war, why isn't he acting like it's in a war? This administration in the past few years has thrown so much at the American people. I think in some cases, folks and this administration are sleepwalking. They're sleepwalking in America. They're, are working their, they're walking their way through because there's so much. You know, when you get thrown so much, you just get tired of it. You just have to go and sit down. You don't want to listen to it anymore. You don't want to talk about it anymore. You just want to curl up in the corner and just say, go away, stop it. That's why I played Marvin Gaye. 
Because he plainly said, wake up, everybody. No more sleeping in bed. No more backwards thinking. It's time for thinking ahead. The world has to change so very much for what it used to be. There is so much hatred, war, and poverty. Tonight, helping me discuss this and helping us wake up some sleepwalking babies out there and the rest of America is my guest, Alabama State Senator Roger Smitherman. He represents the 18th district there in Alabama. He's a graduate of the University of Montevallo with a law degree from Miles Law School. He sits on the Finance, Taxation, Education Committee, Banking and Insurance and Education, and Judiciary Committees as well. He's a longtime serving member of the Alabama State Legislature and an advocate for his constituents. Also joining me from Michigan is Dr. Pamela Pugh. She was elected to the board in 2014. She has served in the Chief Public Health Advisory for the city of Flint, Flint, Michigan. Uh, since October 16, she previously worked five years as a consultant for with Regeneration LLC, a company that she founded and uh, spearheaded, which serves as a catalyst for economically economically su- sustainable and healthy urban communities and assisting in public health agencies and organizations and businesses. Also, she is uh, she was employed by Saginaw County Department of Public Health for 14 years, and she received her doctorate in public health from the University of Michigan School of Public Health and a bachelor's in science in chemical engineering from Florida a and Also joining us is Angela Jones-Hackley. Angela is an accomplished executive with more than two decades of leadership in the nonprofit space. She, serves as, she served as a senior partner for the Wayfinder Foundation, the executive director for the DC Children and Youth Investment Trust uh, Corporation, and she currently serves as the executive director for Covenant House Greater Washington. They're a nonprofit organization that serves the homeless youth across the DMV, in educational services, job training and placement, emergency housing and shelter, and other wraparound services. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show. I want to thank you for joining me tonight. Thank you for having me. Good to be here. Thank you. Thank you. It's always good to have you all with us. Uh, Thank you all for joining me, all of you first-time guests on the show. But Pamela, you're no stranger to black politics today, as well as Angela. Uh, I want to thank you both for joining us as well. But let me do this. I typically start with the ladies. But, Senator, I want to start with you because I want to get some other stuff out the way that's going on in your state. Because, <laughs> you know, we we in 2020 and we're still dealing with this stuff down in the South. So uh, let me start with you because recently uh, there was an attempt to pass another law on the issue of the Confederate monument and the ability for cities to to, you know, put these barriers around it, move these monuments and things of that nature and charge cities, I think $5,000 a day and, and then people $5,000 a day if, if they did anything to these monuments. Um, but you stood up and you had a very impassionate plea about what really these monuments meant to you growing up and, and the impact that it had on you personally seeing it, knowing and recognizing coming up through uh, the Jim Crow times and, and other eras of what was really going on. Talk to us about that and, and give us some clarity on the matter and why you spoke out so forcefully. Well, they, uh, the legislature had previously passed the uh, uh, commission that deals with whether or not you can actually move these monuments or not. In, in other words, they had put, put a state uh, control on the movement it, uh, itself. And so now they were coming back, and and in my opinion, it was it was – targeted in part toward the city of Birmingham because they, they were uh, uh, resisting the fact of, 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 you know, yielding the control of what they could do with the monuments in the city. 
And of course, if you know the heritage of the city of Birmingham and the civil rights and you you in Dynamite Hill and 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 Bull Corner and all of that, then you'll know the kind of spirit that the people in this area really, really have. And and uh I've been fortunate enough to, you know, over the last um uh twenty five, twenty six years to be their senator. So I mean I I have to be their voice. You know, all all one hundred and fifty thousand of them can't come down to Montgomery. So I have to represent them, and that's their feelings, what you saw me express. And that's simply this. You know, as you mentioned a few minutes ago, I, I'm i the generation that uh, changed from segregation to integration. What I mean by that, I, I was a 16- and 17-year-old when Jim Crow was legal, and then the year when it wasn't legal, and, and then we integrated. I'm that, I'm that group, you know, that, that so we had a chance to grow up through this seeing Ku Klux Klan rally, seeing Burn Cross, you know, all of that. You know, I mean, just, just chasing us home, Ku Klux chasing us home, all those kind of things. And and so those things have a a, a reflection to me and many of, uh, of African-Americans uh, of the bitterness and the hurt that we suffered or that our people went through as a result of that. those same people, now they're honoring it. So this was a situation where, I said this honestly, that even though some people wanted to do it, I think, to inflict the hurt, there were some people who actually uh, thought that they they wanted to recognize history. And and sometimes you have to be the heartbeat and the feelings and the emotions for people to get them to understand that. And then when people making those decisions, decision makers are not diverse. Nobody's in there expressing right. what, what really, yeah, the impact. So, uh, oh, that's what I did on on the Senate floor, and, and of course, you know, having been and having been and having been the president pro tem, you know, the second African American only we only had two in the history to be pro tem of the Senate. I understand the rules and the mechanism just as well or better than anybody in the process. And I'm the ranking minority member, the second ranking member in the whole Senate, so I can understand what's going on in our Senate, and and uh, I just could not uh, uh, allow the the opportunity to share with them. You know what this really is doing to people. I'll sum it up so like this. this. I told him. Let me ask uh-huh. you this: Why in 2020 yeah. are we still looking at our history and the Civil War, um, um, and and why are they trying to give us this revisionist history and talk about it wasn't over slavery? It, it was clearly over slavery. And why are these people still trying to honor racist, treasonous Confederate soldiers to this day in, in this day and age that was clearly sending the message? Uh, that they wanted to send to black folks. I mean, like you said, some people may not know, but a lot of people did know. Why are they still trying to send mm-hmm. this message to black folks? Are we still looking at what's to come, which is going to be some questions I got down the line about seg- about um, uh, racial profiling in terms of voting and things of that nature. Are they trying to set something up now for later? Well, I, I think I think that they don't want to they don't want to bend to to do to deal with what we're dealing with now. I think it's the resistance. I, I think it's the it's the it's it's a constant struggle that that we have to go through. You know, when you make an advancement and then you look and and there's an effort the next day to try to set you back on that advancement. And I think that that there's a certain segment of our population in this country that that's just the way that they feel. And and I think that when the opportunity comes to do that, I think that they try to take advantage of that opportunity. That's what concerns me about this uh, Corona nineteen. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm real concerned I, I, about the, 
what's going to happen to us in educational wise because what we're not in school now. You know what's exactly. going to happen to us health wise because exactly. we can't get to get, get get health services now because it's it's overrun. And well, what's what going to happen? I have for you. That's the next question I have for you because I was watching uh, a, a a a hospital worker in Alabama. Talk, and she's out in rural Alabama, and the, the concept was that because it's in the rural area, it's spread out, people can't get the virus, it's spread out, they're not in co- constant contact with anyone. But apparently there was a, uh, a nursing home in rural Alabama that had a number of cases, and then they had a number of deaths at that location. And the biggest problem that she said they have is that the nearest hospital is two hours away. How is your state going to uh, attack this virus and keep it from spreading. If in fact the rural rural Alabama, you can't. You, there's no hospitals around. Their clinics that are around aren't sufficient enough to even deal with this pandemic. And then you have your governor resisting the stay-in-place order and actually mandating it, but saying you guys do what you want to do, but just don't touch anybody. How are you guys going to deal with this? Because it's going to hit. And like you said, African Americans yep. are going to suffer. Well, it's all it's already hit, and and. And, and let me just say this to you: it, 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 It's unfortunate for all of us in this country, but but it it was it's been here ever since 2019. I I had to I I went to I, I hurt my Achilles, and I went to have it checked, and the per the attendant there told me and said, "Look, uh, you know the people we've been had people coming in here since November with flu-like symptoms, and we and yet they hadn't had they didn't have the flu." Now what you what that tells you that it's been it's been here it's been here a long time and that's and and that there lies the problem we we are not reacting like we I hear the word they talk about well we're at a war but when you're at a war you nationalize your companies to build ventilators you nationalize exactly. your companies to 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 build to, to get masks and gloves and then Correct. number one you couldn't you putting people in this country back to work. When you nationalize these companies, because they now have to build these things, and then at the same time, you you are dealing with the price uh, where you you know it's not price out of this world. That's the problem with with the statement you played is that you got the national government out there on the market trying to bound, you got the states out there on the market trying to bound, and you got everybody in these other countries trying to bound, and and right. and it, the cost is so prohibitive that it makes it difficult to get the adequate number that you need. But if you nationalize these companies and set a price, a reasonable price, and, and just everybody in the country pay the same thing, and then you, you won't have these kind of problems by supply and demand or the cost. You're exactly right. Dr. Pugh, Pamela, uh, welcome to the show. And uh, Michigan is the fourth in the nation right now with over 24,000 cases and 1,500 deaths so far. And your governor has been out there in the front and asking for support from this administration and they have con- completely shut her down and, and really don't want to give her anything. They reluctantly, I think, sent some ventilators or sent some masks. But um, I'm not sure if it, I can't recall if it was Michigan or another state. But when they got the masks, they were completely unusable. Um, what's going to be the impact on Michigan as you move forward and, and the governor trying to move forward and do what you're doing? Because African-Americans are suffering in your state as well. Right, and, and African Americans have long suffered um, in the state of, of Michigan. Uh, whether you look at our education system, we've come in last for serving our black boys and black children. We've recently had um, a case 
that has been brought against our state for for um, access to equitable education. Um, but when we look at at our health conditions, yes, we uh, whether you're looking at asthma, cancer, diabetes, um, on and on. Uh, also, looking at the access to uh, food choices, things that drive obesity, that drive hypertension, uh, that that uh, that drive uh, diabetes. Uh, we don't have access to healthy foods uh, in our state, as well as African Americans across the country. So it was not at all surprising to us when we're seeing uh, the numbers that are coming in. Uh, when you look at Michigan, we're African Americans are uh, 40% of the COVID-19 related deaths, but only 14% of the uh, population. Uh, when you look at Detroit, making up uh, the bulk of, of the um, cases in the state of Michigan, and Detroit is 78% African American. Uh, you talked about me working in, in the city of Flint. Uh, Flint is, is experiencing high rates, the same place where we had the Flint water crisis. Uh, we can look at, at the lack of access to uh, healthy water, um, affordable water, uh, when people are supposed to hydrate and wash their hands, and that uh, it, the cities of Flint and Detroit have been hit hardest when we look at uh, not having access to affordable water um, um, in addition to all of these other things that, that we talk about. Um, we can also talk about the communication. It took so long. When you talk about the response of the federal government, it took so long. Uh, we knew that the first cases or we, we, we see that the first cases of pneumonia were were reported in December uh, from Wuhan. Um, as the senator stated, we know that, that this disease was circulating in our community. I was on a call, a federal call last week, and we know from the state of Washington, just by them looking at the footprint of, of their first cases, they can tell that, that uh, by the mutations that, they're, that it had been resonating in the state um, for some time. Uh, but when we look at communication and we saw the broad communication going out where we were looking at elderly people, um, we were looking at people who were able to travel. So African-Americans felt uh, insulated and the message or lack thereof was uh, also just, just as if we were not going to uh, get the disease. And so by the time we caught up to the message, there were some of us out there who were able to partic start to participate in calls where we knew that the schools needed to be closing. We knew right. that... Uh, we knew that um, that the churches, you know, our beloved churches, I'm with you. I thank God. I thank God for Resurrection Sunday and all that it represents and would have loved to have uh, been able to congregate corporately in, in a church uh, building. But the churches were, our churches here, um, you, you may have heard, we have lost so many bishops so many church leaders yeah. as well as yeah. their relatives from early meetings that were beginning uh, in the beginning of March. Again, the messaging was just not getting out. Uh, we started, my niece and I started trying to put together infographics and circulate them as broadly uh, as we could here locally. Um, Pastor Jamal Bryant circulated it for us because we saw where the churches just were not getting the message. They were getting messaging. We were getting some messaging uh, from a legal standpoint, that 250 can gather. Then it was that 50 right. could gather. Right. Here in Michigan, it was that they, uh, the churches, separation of church and state, so if you want to go out there and be biological weapons, you can do that. Um, right. But 
so we were seeing that unfold. My family member, I have a lot of family who live in upstate New York. I had an uncle who passed away. We later found, I mean, we soon found, it didn't take long, um, that it was, uh, he was not tested, but his the person living in the home with him, his wife was tested and other family members. And, and it ripples through that community. Mm-hmm. Um, so and that's what's happening now. I think that's that's really what's going on. And unfortunately, through our churches, uh, there is always, and there seems to be disinformation that circulates, but then also as people of color, we always rely on God to do this and to handle it and to save us and to make it all good. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, I'm going to come to you, Angela, and we're going to discuss how is COVID-19 impacting you uh, right here in Washington, D.C. Uh, and the DMV. We'll be right back. A social distancing tip. While the CDC urges you to avoid close contact, like hugging or shaking hands, there are other non-physical ways to say hello. Wave, wink, use sign language, salute, smile, give the peace sign, throw up an air high five, do jazz hands. Remember, stay a minimum of six feet or two arms length away from others and stay home if you can. For more info, visit coronavirus.gov. Let's all do our part because we're all hashtag alone together. Brought to you by the Ad Council. Mom, thanks for taking me to work. Gee, there are lots of people here who don't look like you. Asian people, African Americans, Latinos, everybody's different. Yes, and those differences are good because they mean different ways of seeing, thinking, and doing things. So how come where we live, everyone looks just like us? Diversity shouldn't be left behind at work each day. In our neighborhoods, we can prepare our children for the global life that lies ahead. To better understand the benefits of diversity in your community, log on to www.aricherlife.org. Brought to you by the National Fair Housing Alliance. You're listening to Black Politics Today, an eye for what's at stake in global politics, and your source for the social, economic, and political impact on the African-American community. So join the conversation at 516-590-0143 and share your viewpoint at 516-590-0143. Now, back to your host, Kelly Michael Williams. Thank you for joining us tonight. Uh, if you want to join the conversation, give us a call at 516-590-0143. That's 516-590-0143. My guest tonight is Alabama State Senator Roger Smitherman, uh, representing the 18th District, and also Michigan State School Board uh, member, vice president of the state school board, um, or board of education, excuse me, uh, Michigan State Board of Education, vice president of that board is Dr. Pamela Pugh. And also joining us is Ms. Angela Jones Hackley, who is the executive director of Covenant House Greater Washington. Uh, So Angela, let me come to you and and ask you about um, your role. Uh, because I'm, I'm looking at uh, a number of things that you have to deal with um, as the you, 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 you reside, I believe, in, in Virginia. You work in the District of Columbia. Uh, both, uh, you, both states, I think, have issues of stand-in-place orders. And then you're the executive director overseeing the health and safety and welfare of homeless youth in the DMV uh, that come into our facility there at, uh, at Covenant House. You 
I mean, how are you navigating the multiple layers of responsibilities that you have to take on? Uh, one, stay safe yourself for you and your, your family, your daughter. But two, adhere to the governmental orders and then ensure that those youth who are in, the, um, in need of shelter and in the network of Covenant House uh, community are safe, sheltered, and able to stay virus-free. Uh, what's what's yeah. happening? How are you dealing with it? And, and what's the challenges? Because it's, it's a lot. Yeah, yeah, and thanks for uh, setting the stage a little bit for me. I mean, I think I want the listeners to understand that while a lot of us are talking about this as a health crisis and, and managing a pandemic, what we at Covenant House are doing is managing a, a health crisis in the middle of what I would call a homelessness crisis, right? So we have youth that have been, they were vulnerable before this crisis that were coming to us with trauma and issues because they are experiencing homelessness and disconnection. What this pandemic has really done is heightened and exacerbated what I would call the noise, right? I think that um, a lot of my friends and a lot of us have the privilege of using the time at home to, 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 to quiet the noise. Our young people that come to Covenant House, the noise has just gotten louder for them. They are, um, we are their home. We talk about shelter and place. We are their shelter. And their world is now at this point limited to um, 200 to 300 square feet at best, right? We um, are doing the best we can to retrofit. We've retrofitted you know, our facilities to make sure that they are safe, um, both for our staff and our youth. Um, we have isolation rooms um, that we've turned offices into isolation rooms in the event that any of our young people become um, symptomatic and we need to quarantine them. Um, we have um, pretty much had to, to search high and low for cleaning supplies to make sure that we are cleaning per CDC and uh, Department of Health guidelines. All of our staff and our youth right now have to wear masks. Um, so it is, It is. Um, in addition to you talked about us traveling across state lines because we do serve youth from across the entire DMV and our staff come across the entire uh, district um, area. And so we do have letters that we've instructed them to carry with them every day because they are essential workers. Um, but I do also want to highlight that um, often we don't talk about our staff as our heroes and the frontline workers. And that also, you know, a lot of us have been talking about uh, the frontline workers are generally people of color. They're generally the lowest wage workers. And so I also want to lift up those heroes and the unsung heroes that we often don't talk about, and that's our staff, because they really are on the front lines um, working with our young people, helping to kind of calm their anxiety um, and their fears, and, and they are the home um, that they would otherwise, many of our young people would otherwise not have. Exactly, and uh, dealing with the community, uh, of course, uh, I'm, I, I, I support and sit on the board of Covenant House and, and share in everything that you do. And uh, certainly I want to publicly uh, thank and congratulate you for the excellent job that you've been doing since we brought you on board and commend you on everything you're doing. Talk to me about what is the greatest challenge that you're, that you're seeing that you're having to deal with with this particular population um, because, you know, we're dealing with youth. They think of themselves as being invincible. They um, at some times don't necessarily want to adhere to authority figures, and yet they're in need of services, but yet they want to be able to manage themselves. So how are you navigating and dealing with that uh, aspect of what we have to deal with and keeping them uh, and helping them understand the, 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 the true nature of how dangerous and how impactful 
this particular disease uh, and this virus yeah. is. So before this happened, I, I sit down with the uh, young people when we have lunch sometimes, and before we had to kind of shut down, I was talking with a young man um, over lunch and just sort of asking him about what did he think about what was happening in the world with the pandemic. And he said something that was simple but profound and kind of points to what you're talking about. He said, you know, Miss Angela, some people will get this, some people won't. Some people will get sick and some people won't. Some people will get better and some people won't. But I have too many other things to think about right now. So what that said to me at that time was that he couldn't, because he was dealing with so many other things, he couldn't even focus on that, right? And our staff, job really is at this point to try to allay uh, as much as we can and decrease the anxiety amongst our young people and really to, to, to say to them that this is serious. Uh, we want you to thrive. We want you to survive. But you do need to follow kind of these guidelines um, because you're not invincible. And if, you're invinc- if you think you're invincible, maybe your friends, your family members, the other people that you come in contact with um, are, not, are not invincible. I will say, um, you know, one positive thing that has come out of this is that some of our young people who were not working at the time um, have been able to find jobs um, in the grocery stores, at stocking grocery stores, um, uh, shelves, and things like that. Again, that population of um, frontline workers that we need to lift up as much as we can and deal with those inequities, right, because they've always existed. We've just, they're just heightened now because we now notice that the frontline workers are majority people of color, um, whereas mm-hmm. we knew that before, but it's now kind of heightened in a way. Um, so I think that, you know, one of the things that, that we need increased services for is really mental health services. We do have a mental health therapist on staff, but it really that one staff person is not enough um, right now because we need to be honest that, that as adults we are afraid of this, and so we need not to try to, like, bury the fear of our young people, but, but um, you know, let them speak their truth and find outlets to that, but also talk to some um, um, uh, qualified folks that will help them uh, and talk them through that as well. If you want to join the conversation, give us a call at 516-590-0143. That's 516-590-0143. Dr. Pugh, let me come back to you uh, because he would, would – would, uh, Angela just described was what is why I call this particular show sleepwalking in America, because there is so much coming at us. There's so much going on. And before the pandemic, we had daily just mess, just daily junk coming at us from everything, everywhere, from impeachment to just uh, budget to, to everything. Everything was going on. And me being in this field and you being in the political arena and even the senator, um, and Angela have to deal with policy, it, it's something that I have to pay attention and listen to and watch on a daily basis. But even I was getting sick and tired of it. And I just couldn't take it anymore where I actually had to just shut down, leave it alone, and sort of go into a mode of just, I mean, even following Twitter. I'm, I'm having Twitter wars where people are talking about, oh, we, we've done testing, we responded greatly, and we did all this great stuff. And I'm yeah. looking at these people, how stupid are you? I mean, I mean, I mean, that's not... not I don't care that you like this dude, but what really bothers me is why are you lying for him, drinking the Kool-Aid, and then trying to spew that same Kool-Aid out? I mean, the, 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 the thing about it is that so many people are dealing with so much. And, and like you said earlier, which is one of the questions I had to ask you, is that the main prevention 
for spreading this virus is washing our hands and, and, and keeping away from keeping our hands from our face and things like that. You're in Flint where the water mm-hmm. is still dirty. The water is still contaminated. You don't have clean water throughout the city yet. You guys are laying pipes some places and not in other places, but you still have this, mm-hmm. this issue. How is this um, going to impact the residents, especially, you know, black folks in, in that community? Because even if they're washing their hands, their, their hands aren't being clean. You have, you have both an environmental problem and you and and you know uh, I'm going to do a show. I'm call you back for for environmental discrimination, but also we're dealing with this pandemic mm-hmm. issue. How are you guys dealing with that? Yeah. So um, and, and let me say, so I'm I'm former chief public health advisor. I did leave um, the city of Flint with the outgoing mayor in November. But yeah. So you know, afford, water affordability was something that we were trying to tackle uh, head on. Um, when we left, we were not turning off water. Uh, if you recall, you know, talking about building on type of type of crisis, we were going through the automotive strike. Um, you know, then then uh, we were in the process of we were at the end of our um, water line service line replacements, but we were also pushing for interior plumbing to that was destroyed through that toxic water corrosive water that was going through the pipe. So, yes, so the people can't drink the water. Um, we do, you know, they probably can. They can wash their hands with the water, but there was always this promise, too, of getting bottled water uh, back until we finished the last pipe. Um, uh, you probably don't recall, but we were at odds with the previous administration and still working this out with the new administration getting bottled water back until we were done with the last pipe. Those pipe replacement happened put on hold. So, yes, we have um, issues on top of issues. And, Angela, you know, just when I saw your face and when I saw uh, who you were representing, it, it already it touched my heart because one of the current concerns that we had in closing the schools, but we just knew we had to do it. Um, it would not have been equitable in the way that we took children as well as educators out of the schools. We just saw 21 educators that, that died um, in New York. That report just came out. But one of our biggest concerns is how do they eat? How do the children, uh, some children don't have homes, and this is their home. Some people, some children, and, and this is their safety net. So all of these imbalances, uh, we have so underfunded, you know, our education system. So we know that even with our education systems in Flint, we can talk about Flint. Flint has the world's uh, best schools as well, uh, one of the world's best economies as well as best schools. And um, because of policies uh, that have been have callous policies, unjust policies, discriminatory policies, uh, racist policies, that have been uh, put in place, enacted, and then we just build uh, inequity on top of, of uh, previous racism. But we talk about the schools, they have been so underfunded, no access to, um, now we're looking at the digital access. Now we're looking at, at because that's a problem now, some some children have it, some, some don't. Um, and so, we are. We're building um, on top of inequities that have been here. Uh, one of the things that's hard for me to appeal uh, that's hard to follow is hearing people, such as your president, talking about uh, health inequities now when his policies were a main driver of, of these. You know, they, they just 
were the death nail of us. Now, now, Pamela, now, Pamela, yeah. you've known me too long. All right, you know there is no way, <laughs> and 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 my 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 listeners get on me because I say words that they don't like me saying. But you know, there's no way in hell this man's my president. Okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. Okay. I'm sorry. Well, there, there is no. There is no way. No, and, no, 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 just, no way. And I don't ever I refer to him you. as such. Okay, I call him Test Two I Baby. Call, I call I him Do. You can't give them to me. Give give them to somebody else. Senator. Okay. All right. <laughs> Senator. So somebody um, out there. So it's yeah. somebody president. He's somebody. But say he... one last thing. But, Go ahead. Because Angela brought up the frontline workers, and I did see where there was uh, legislation that's being put through, I think, by Senator Warren that's looking at our essential workers. We're seeing our grocery store workers. We're seeing, you know, others that – We've been trying to talk to our daycare workers who are taking care of the children of the essential workers is what we call them here. But one of the first calls that I received was from a young lady who was low, considered low on the totem pole, a uh, frontline worker at the healthcare. Was not only told that she couldn't uh, get PPE, personal protective equipment, couldn't get a, a respirator, a N95, a mask. She was also told, they were told that they couldn't wear them because it was a bad look for the customers that were coming in. And so we began to, I worked with her mom and some others to figure out how we could push against that. But um, we, we saw so much that happened that got us on such unlevel footing on top of our already, our health issues that are come from all kinds of um, inequities. Uh, but so there there is a lot that's going on and the policies and the decisions uh, that, that have been made and, and uh, right. we're not moving fast right. enough to undo some of them. And, and now hopefully at least this will, well, we always say this, we thought Flint would, but hopefully we won't let go hopefully. until the, these things are addressed. Exactly. Senator, um, uh, uh, Dr. Pugh did talk about the, the education you mentioned as well. And it's something I, I, I was going to come back to you guys and, and talk to you about, but since we're, we're here, let's go ahead and, and address it because what I'm thinking and what I'm seeing, and, and it's something I want to address with all of you, um, is that the impact of us taking those children out of school now, our kids out of school now, and dealing with either juniors or seniors that are applying to colleges or are getting ready to go off to college, um, they're dealing with their GPAs and things of that nature. And of course, they may need that in-classroom structure to stay focused, to be able to do the work they're doing. I know my son is, fortunately, he's a senior. He's already been accepted to a number of universities where we're trying to make a decision. But uh, he has this, you know, um, distant learning that they're, they're sending the homework home and they're supposed to be able to do it on their own. And uh, I guess they are checking with their teachers via uh, Skype or something of that nature here or there. But I know a number of uh, folks in, in grade school and things where the teachers – they're still getting paid, but they're not doing any regular contact or communication with the students. They're checking in once a week or twice a week uh, for an hour or so, but that's it. And, you know, with our students, that may be detrimental to their ability to, to move forward. So, Senator, how are you, from a legislative perspective, going to deal with that, and are you dealing with that? But then also from a social standpoint, how do we address that? Because ultimately, our kids are probably going to suffer the most. Oh, there ain't no problem. It's not any problem. They they are going to suffer, and that's 
what I kind of alluded to it just briefly at the beginning when I said about, you know, we, we, got, we have a crisis on our hands. We have a crisis on our hand right now. I'm going to talk about the problems that that she just mentioned. She was right. Everything that she said, she was right. But this, in addition, this is another layer of problems that now we're getting ready to have on our hand, and that's this: is that if 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 you if we don't put as elected people, if we don't put the the mechanisms in place to give the support that our kids are going to need to bridge that gap that this distant learning uh, without supervision, and I'm not talking about parents, but I'm just talking about having the structure of school because parents have to go to work. They have to find time during the day that they do this uh, and helping their children. And and if we don't put things in place, such as tutorials, such as uh, uh, computers, such as as we go forward, if we just, just act like this is over and we just carry on with the same Process the distribution of of, of support materials, the the, the the way to structure, way we go evaluate and take an assessment. Then we're going to be so far behind that it's going to be unreal, and 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 that's really really concerns me because because we if we don't start being vigilant now, right now as a people, and right now and 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 and, and I know it's hard because of the things that we're dealing with now. But the but people like us who see this, if we don't be vigilant right now, we'll find ourselves being behind when that we come out of this phase and it, it'll take mm-hmm. so many years just for us to catch up. Mm-hmm. You know, and that, and, and that's a concern. That's a concern of mine. It really is. And and, and here here in our state we we're like most states, we're trying to have distant learning and the people who one of the things that the people who do not have the computers, you actually have packets of information and a process is almost as if they were in school to get it back. But still, and we have a law in place that you, it's mandatory that you give tutorial assistance to people who have a C or lower in, in any public school. So that's still in place to help, but but they don't get so far behind. That 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 I'm just concerned about 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 uh, catching up and, and and of course maintaining the gains that we have already received. Exactly. I'm gonna take another quick break, and when we come back, Angela, talk to me about the impact because you got a homeless population and you're trying to give them uh, some education and GED services, but they can't be in class. So what do we do next? We'll be right back. A social distancing tip. Putting distance between yourself and others is critical to slowing the spread of coronavirus. So here are ways to stay in contact without the physical contact part. Call, send a text, set up a video conference, post on social media, dedicate a song on the radio. If you have symptoms of fever, dry cough, and shortness of breath, call your health care provider before going to their office. For more info, visit coronavirus.gov. Let's all do our part because we're all hashtag alone together. Brought to you by the Ad Council. Hope you enjoyed your meal. And I just want to say, he's lucky to have a brother like you. Lucky? Caring for my brother is far from easy. But he's a part of me, like my arms and legs, so I'll be his. No time for tired. Nothing can disable this love. He needs me, but I'm the lucky one, even though I need help now and then. If you're caring for a loved one, visit aarp.org caregiving for care guides and community. 
Support for your strength. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. You're listening to Black Politics Today. An eye for what's at stake in global politics. And your source for the social, economic, and political impact on the African American community. So join the conversation at 516-590-0143 and share your viewpoint at 516-590-0143. Now back to your host, Kelly Michael Williams. Welcome back to the show. My uh, guest tonight is Dr. Pamela Pugh, Michigan uh, Vice President of the Michigan State Board of Education as well as Senator Alabama Senator Roger Silverman, Smitherman, and also Angela Hackley, who is the Executive Director of Covenant House Greater Washington here in Washington, D.C., the DMV, as we call it. Um, Angela, let me uh, come to you and, and talk to you about that, that question I have for you, which is how, do we, uh, how are you dealing with and how are you addressing the idea and the needs of services for those who need and want uh, or who are in the, the uh, GED program uh, that uh, yeah. Covenant House offers and how are they or if they're able to participate because of what's going on, uh, because they're not able to come to class and the teachers aren't there. How are you able to deal with that and, and what, do you, what, what is your strategy to deal with it? So, you know, pre this, pre um, the shutdown of everything, we had a fairly large and robust uh, set of services in our community services center that we had to suspend. Um, and so we have been pretty creative in thinking of ways that we can do things virtual. We've moved to a virtual case management platform. We also have moved to a platform where um, our um, staff that provided GED and career and job readiness do that virtually as well. It's not a it's not a perfect because we're still really trying to figure that out. Um, you know, we had a full, um, fairly large um, computer room that that our young people would come to and access every day. And now we are seeking donations for individual Chromebooks and computers so that we don't lose ground. And I think, um, you know, the senator is right. If we talk about you know what's at stake here, is that you know, all of these issues that um, we were dealing with before the, the crisis, the pandemic, gets um, gets heightened, right? And so, you know, it, this gives us an opportunity to really think about how we how do we make sure that we don't lose ground. And that's the thing I constantly think about the young people that we are we were working with that were on track um, to get their GED. We had a um, a graduation of some young people who graduated with their GED in um, in. Or early February, and we're looking to, to to move another group through, and and really, we really are thinking about what are all the ways to make sure that they don't lose ground in this space. And 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 frankly, I don't have the answer right now. We are really trying to figure this out. The virtual piece is working for a little bit because most of our young people have phones. I mean, most people have cell phones, so we can do some things via cell phone. Um, but right now we're just looking for um, for computer access so we can do for the the face to face things that we used to do face to face contact um, uh, because that contact is important as well as hearing a voice. Um, but trying to encourage them to stay on track um, is one of the things that's that's kind of done on a daily daily basis. I mean we have phenomenal staff, uh, um, but really the, the one of the challenges is really to keep the young people motivated. Um, to the extent possible to stay on track. So, and um, uh, Pamela, uh, Dr. Pugh, uh, 
what is it that uh, you guys are doing there in Michigan or what can we do and how can things uh, uh, be made uh, easier or better for Angela there at Covenant House and dealing with the distant learning and, and uh, uh, you know, Zooms and, and all the different aspects of learning. And also uh, in that same vein, as I asked uh, the senator, what do we what do we do about people's uh, students' GPA if their their GPA starts to suffer and and they are uh, unable to or how's that going to be impacted? How are you guys dealing with that uh, at the state board of education? So tomorrow we'll we'll host our next meeting. It's, it's amazing. A month ago, Michigan didn't even have our first case. So here we are a month later, and we shut down the whole school year. And um, so what we did. Uh, on April 2nd, uh, Governor Whitmer did uh, announce the full closure. The state of Michigan is a little bit different in that the state board of education and the state superintendent are separate from the um, from the governor's office. But in, obviously in, in a time like this, when you're in an emergency, the two have to work together, and she did call the emergency. And so what, on April 28th, all school districts have to put, public school districts have to put forward a plan. So private, dormitory, all those schools are shut down, but the public schools have to put forward a plan. And let me say that the educators that I've seen and that I've worked with are going above and beyond trying to make this as normal of a situation out of something that's so not normal for any of us. And uh, we've seen some really um, wonderful experiences that the children and the, the educators have had. And so I know that they're trying to bring some normalcy uh, to, to this time. Uh, I'm really concerned about the children's social and emotional well-being, making sure that they're fed, making sure that they have uh, access to, to a safe part of the education experience. Um, we're happy that the U.S. Department of Education, uh, we sent a letter and we received the response. We sent a letter on behalf of the whole country asking that uh, that the divorce uh, uh, go, do away with, with assessment, and so for the whole year, assessments are, are gone. So that is uh, one thing. And so now, children and teachers should be free to be able to learn uh, in, in a unique space, and then being able to provide some social and emotional support for our children. And then the other thing is making sure that the U.S. Department of Education uh, through and the state are able to provide meals for for children. Uh, so those are some of the things that, that we're really uh, looking looking forward to, um, and it's good to hear of the programs such as those that Angela has to to uh, be backup for or backup plan for for these children who do not have families to go to. Um, and so again, we really lean and depend on our educators, and uh, right. and they're doing them do a phenomenal job in such a crazy space where they're also having to take care of their own children. It, it really is. It really is. Senator, when I, when I opened up, I talked about the nation sleepwalking and then Angela gave us a, an example of that. What, uh, what do we need to do to wake up? What, uh, what, what do we need to do to wake up and, and really get uh, uh, us actively moving and motivated to overcoming uh, what is clearly the worst example of any president since Buchanan um, in this country. So what, what do we need to do? Well, I, I think we need to be reminded. We need to be, we need to be constantly and constantly reminded of what is happening to us now. I heard one you know one of our uh, guests said about the about the people uh, the, about the young man that was, that gave the explanation. He was saying, "Well, some people gonna live, right. some people gonna." I, and, and and I think 
that we have to constantly bring it to our people's attention that this is what's happening. And, 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 and you know, it may sound repetitive, may sound basic, but we have to constantly do that because if we don't, we'll find ourselves being low like we were uh, four years mm-hmm. ago. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, even with yeah. voting, even with voting, yeah, we we'll find ourselves being low and not and not realizing that it's it's going to take the constant message. It's just like this Corona nineteen, Corona nineteen. It's it's that we got to let people know this stuff will kill you. You know, that yeah. people just, they think it's just a cold. They kind of blase about it. They walk up to people when you stand in line, sit at the six feet. You know, they they, they got to understand this. <laughs> I lost a relative. I I lost a relative yeah. who went yeah. in the hospital, and seventy-two hours later, they were dead. And that's yeah. been, that was last week. So so what yeah. I'm telling you that I, this stuff is for real. I, I, I we have to keep pressing those points that is for real. You know, and, and, really and we have to constantly let them know what's yeah. happening to us. We have to let it know what it means when you cut off the 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 uh, uh, the uh, housing assistance, when you cut off job workforce, when you right. cut off right. uh, unemployment, when you cut off yeah, cut off like in our case when you don't take Medicaid expansion and and rural hospitals that they're closing, and yet we need beds to put people in because of, of Corona nineteen. You know, so. I'm I'm just saying that 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 we that's what we got to do, and we got to be visual and getting that message everywhere we can. Well, I'm going to certainly continue to uh, preach it here and talk about it because each week something new happens that where I'm saying I'm going to turn to something new to talk about. I got to come back to Corona because these numbers affecting African Americans, Angela. These numbers affecting us all across the place. And and just the dynamics of what you have to deal with, again, I say it again um, on behalf of, of myself personally, but certainly the board, I, I'm sure and I know that we are so glad that you are there, that you're uh, taking control, you're finding ways of doing things. Thank you. And uh, I, am, I am constantly uh, thinking and praying about you and praying for you, but uh, certainly I know it's a struggle and a stressful one for you. What are some of the solutions you see uh, in, in terms of issues facing Covenant House, but also how are you seeing yourself being able to prepare for it, and what do you need from outside sources and resources, uh, even from from Dr. Pugh and places like Michigan, places like that, where you can get some tips and understanding? What are some of the things that you can use or, or help uh, help assist you through all aspects of what you need to do over at Covenant House? So, I mean, you know, I will say that we um, we have been fortunate that we've got generous supporters and, and generous partners, um, public partners here in the district um, who, who fund our services. But, you know, like any other nonprofit, you know, our, 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 our youth are 18 to 24. And they have huge appetites. So our, um, you know, food budget it, during this during this period alone has increased by over 50 percent. I mean, things mm-hmm. that we could not have anticipated, anticipated, you know, two or three months ago, in, in the amount of money that we're spending just on food alone. So I would say donations for food, monetary support is always helpful. We're still looking for those individual Chromebooks, at least 40 of them to give to our youth so they can continue their educational aspirations. Um, so those really tangible things, right, we are not at this point accepting um, used donations for, for lots of reasons. So I, I don't want people okay. to get offended if I tell them we're not taking used donations, uh, but we just can't do that at this time. We can't risk it. 
Um, right. But I also want folks to understand that we also want to uplift our staff who are on the front lines every day. So if you've got a lunch to donate, to send to our to our staff, we're doing that as a senior team on a regular basis as much as we can. But um, we have two sets of heroes for us. There are youth and our frontline staff. And, and I want to focus on both of them at the same time. Sounds good. Dr. Pugh, um, this past weekend, of course, you may have seen it. Uh, it's, it's been across as the New York Times did a uh, um, expose, if you will, on a comprehensive timeline of this administration uh, when it was told about the virus and its impact on the country and how they ignored it and uh, did so with idea at, at some point there was discussions of just allowing seniors to die because that theory was that it was only affecting seniors. And they were saying they were going to do that in lieu of the economy because they wanted to make sure the economy was, was okay. And then you had the Lieutenant governor from Texas go on national television and say that many seniors would, wouldn't mind and would be willing to die with this virus in order to help and, and, and lessen the burden on their grandkids so they can save the economy. And I'm thinking to myself, did this fool just say that seniors across America would not mind dying so they can save the economy for their grandkids? It's mind-blowing that the ineptness and incompetence of what these people are doing and talking about. How in America, especially black America, are we going to survive this? Because we have people in elected officials saying it's okay for people to die just so we can save the economy. But yet we give out a $2 trillion tax cut to major corporations and let them buy back their stocks and pay themselves. And now we're talking about we're running out of the $2 trillion we just gave out, the $500 billion to big business. We need another $250 billion for small businesses that we should have given to the small business in the first place instead of giving it to the big business. And I'm not understanding this. In, in a week, we're out of money, but yet the Small Business Administration – Banks are still saying they haven't figured out how they're supposed to lend the money. So how in the heck are we out of money? And how are these people sitting there saying we need more, but we want to let seniors die? What's going to be the impact for us, Black America? How are we going to survive this? Well, we already know. Um, I mean, first of all, let me say it was Resurrection um, Sunday, and it was Holy Week. And I really, towards the end of the week, I've really been trying to put up data and information for people, but I really knew that I needed to pray because are, are we surprised, Michael? You're not surprised by um, no, I'm not. <laughs> by the policies. Of, yeah. You're not surprised, especially coming out of Texas. <laughs> so um, you know, and I, one of the posts that I put up last week, or because we have been waiting for the uh, the the data to be broken down by race. And so as soon as it came out, you know, we could see the numbers. I was putting the numbers out. And then it dawned on me because then we were also starting to get notification, notification that the hydro, uh, hydrochloroquine was going to be tested on our people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I put a post up that said maybe we should stop talking about uh, who's being impacted the most because we'll start getting Tuskegee, air, uh, Tuskegee uh, test experimentation done on us and we'll be sent back to work, you know, sent back to make money for people, um, even though it's killing us and or uh, we're, we're ill. Uh, we know that, that in addition to the elderly uh, being, their lives being nothing and, and able to be thrown away, they, they will definitely throw our lives away. Again, 
we're looking at experimental drugs being tested on us uh, in our communities. Why our communities? Uh, right, but exactly. We know and, I, and I don't mean to interrupt you, but you're you're exactly right because um, I saw this tweet of people in France talking about we should go and test the people in Africa, and uh, someone was saying, "Well, how is that how is that racist?" And I responded, "I said it's racist because you're not testing people in Italy who has more deaths than the people in Africa. It's racist because mm-hmm. you're not testing people in America." Who have who's leading the nation in deaths and cases? Why are you going to Africa and testing them? They only have eight thousand deaths, and they got fifty-two countries, one hundred and fifty-two countries, or fifty-two out of the fifty-four countries affected by it, right? So help me understand why you saying go to Africa. No, take your butt over to Norway, Italy, come to America and test these people over here. No, you're not testing black folks for your guinea pigs. And unfortunately, Absolutely. you had one of your your state legislators come out and say, oh, my God, Trump saved my life with Halloquin. And it's like, okay, and, I'm glad you're alive. And the show, that, the show that he came out on, that, that was question. And I, and I don't know that state rep. I know most of the state reps. I did call uh, some of my uh, colleagues and friends, and they were just like, Pam, come on now. You know, so anyway, yeah, we, we, we do fight the team for, for different reasons. Right, um, you know, it's like, come on now, one, really? But the one thing <laughs> we need to know and get real with, and I think that the senator said it best, and I was on a call or something just recently, if we do not take the opportunity uh, or, 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 or demand or just step out in front, we know what to do. It's time for us to lead. It's time for us to stop asking we 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 just move need to move into our position and move forward. Um, you know some of the things that we're seeing, we we've seen we thought we thought before it got here, and now yes. we're having the the, the the dissertations and the dialogue, uh, and it's time out for that. It's time for us uh, who as African Americans to assume our rightful position and do what we need to do to to take care of our people. Because these people are mean, they're callous. The, the more we try to figure them out, the the more time it's taking, and the more um, at our expense it is, our health as well as as our life. So I, it, uh, it really you know, is, uh, Pamela. Yeah, it really is, and and um, I'm I'm at the point where I I was I tell people all the time, you know, I I I love some of my brothers and sisters from another mother, some of them. Some of them I, I can work with, some of them I can deal with, but there's a whole lot of them that I can't stand. Uh, yeah. I think I lost my time here for you guys. Well, well, uh, there we go. I, I, I'm I, back. Uh, there's a whole lot of them oh, yeah. that I can't stand, and it's it's one of those things where uh, they have literally put us in jeopardy. They, they've walked over us, talked about us, um, and just, I mean, some of the areas and some of the things, like you said, they're mean. They're ruthless. Um, there, there is no, there is no. They're about their business. They, they, are taking yeah. care of their people. We've never right. learned yeah. how to take care of our people, and we've got to assume opposition and take care of our people. You're absolutely right. I, I, agree, with, I, I agree with absolutely. you on that, and 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 we we we've been we've been, and that's one of the laws of integration. You know, to where we we began to start looking for someone else to give us this dream. And prior to that, when we had Jim Crow, we knew we had to find our own dream. 
Right. And, yeah, and that's, that's why businesses flourished. That's, that's why we right. had our, 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 yeah, because we knew we had to find our own dream. And in this same situation, you're right about that. We we have got to step forward. You know, we can't apologize for being black. You know, you can't apologize for standing up for Absolutely. for people. You Absolutely. can't do that. You can't you can't worry about whether somebody like you or don't like you. You know, you can't. That's those are the same kind of sacrifices that uh, in other ways that we had to make back in those kind of days. Because let me tell you something. This this thing here, it ain't gonna discriminate. That's one thing no, about it. It's no. gonna get it. It's gonna get them. Yeah, and, and yes, we got problems in our community because they won't test. You know, we don't have mm-hmm. adequate testing okay, in our exactly. community. No. And, right. and let me tell you something. You can you can discriminate all you want to on testing, but but if a person is sick and you come in contact with them, you gonna get it just because right. you wouldn't pay the money to go over there and test them in the in the African American community. If they come, if if any contact you come in and they have it, you gonna get it again. Yeah. And and and. And, and and I'm gonna say this to you too. I heard, that's right. When you said that about the testing, I'm gonna. I, I have a daughter that's an RN, been one for about fourteen, fifteen mm. years. She told me. Mm. She told Thank me this yesterday. She's a dad. She's a dad, and she said, "Hey, don't you be one of the first person to get this vaccine." She said, "Cause, cause, cause it, mm-hmm. it, it ain't gonna be right." Mm-hmm. She said, "She said, no, you let them, you let them figure out and get it right, and you just gotta stay doing what you're doing, and and that's simply this: stay six feet." Avoid tears. <laughs> Wash your hands again and again. And hey, and don't get off the pace. Don't put your hand on your face. You know, you got that's the bottom line. You know, we got, you know, we've got we've got to protect our own selves too. You know, and we got to keep pushing that just as much. You know, and and we do have to do that. I, real quick, uh, I want to close out because I'm going to go rapid fire. But I, uh, with what you were saying, Pamela, and what you're saying, Senator. I need to make sure that everyone listening, because you know I'm going to talk about it, the census, the census, the census. You better reply yeah. to the census. You yeah. better register yeah. to vote yeah. where you are now, and you better vote in November. Mm-hmm. But real quick, because uh, we only got a few minutes left here uh, um, for, for the a lot of time of, that I have here, but real quick for, for you, Angela, what's at stake for us? How can people, first of all, let us know how we get in contact with you, how you can follow on social media, but then talk to us about what's at stake for us, uh, what's at stake for you there at Covenant House, and and uh, what is it that uh, we can do, and how can we do through our donations or whatever it is? Uh, talk well, to I, me, Angela. So, yep. So, my, so I think you can you can contact us on our website www.thdc.org. Um, but the thing I think is at stake is this, what we've been talking about all along, right? We we've we had a housing and a homelessness crisis before this, and if we don't work on pick this opportunity to really deal with those inequities now. We're not going to be able to deal with them. We'll be further behind, as the senator said, um, than, than we are now. And so this gives us an opportunity to really focus on the inequities that we are that are heightened. Um, my fear mm-hmm. is that we'll we'll get to June, July, or whenever it is that we're supposed to be over, and then we'll go back to business as usual. And and in my mind, we can't go back to business as usual. My role in the job that I am in now is to to deal with the immediate needs of youth experiencing homelessness. Um, in the D.C. area, but my larger role is to reduce the need for the services of a Covenant House, Greater Washington. I mean, that really is my vision, that, that, that we have enough services and things in place so that young people don't have to access homeless services at all. Um, and so, to me, that's at stake, and, and that, that I'm trying to work both, both and, right, uh, the right. immediate need and, and the longer-term vision of that. Uh, but, again, folks can access our website, 
Uh, we're on Facebook at Covenant House DC, um, and I believe we're on Twitter at Covenant House uh, uh, at Cove DC. Um, and then I gave our, our website www.chdc.org. All right, thank you so much, Senator. Real quick, what did it say for us? Uh, as quick as way I can tell you, is the survival of the African American race in this country. It's a survival as we know it. The survival as we we hope to see it. We got a situation where, well, we, you know, we we we've got to deal with education. We've got to make sure that our our, our kids uh, have health care. Our people, you see what's happening to us. But the biggest thing I want to say quickly is this: we must have a seat at the table. We got to have a seat at every one of these tables yes. when they're making these decisions about this money and what they're going to yes. do to help us, and we must demand to be there. When we yes. get in there, we don't take care of business, but we must demand to be there. That's what Absolutely. I say more than anything. And, and uh, Pamela, what's at stake for us, and how can uh, people get in contact with you as well? Yeah, and and uh, so that, that's a loaded question. Let me just say this. As uh, the senator reminded me that um, there is just put out, just fresh by the NAACP, where they are doing a they want people to report on discrimination during the coronavirus pandemic, testing any issues that, that you had. And that's at NAACP.org backslash coronavirus backslash report discrimination. And I think the senator and, my, uh, and Angela put, put it best. It's our existence. We are at a crossroad. I think things could it could be a new a thing, new things on the horizon for us. I think it could be really it could be our existence if we think that the issues that we've dealt with right now and the death that we're seeing is bad. If we don't assume our position and fight for our people when it comes to the resources that come out of this. And we're not there at the forefront and at the table. We're going to lose out. I think November third is also at the at, at stake for us. Uh, we have an opportunity to win. I mean, it's going to be a fight, uh, and so we have to have our voices at that table uh, with uh, the opposition of what what we have right now. Uh, we need to be there, uh, which we can pretty much say that that's uh, we know who that's going to be. And I think that we need to make sure that we have our, our issues at the forefront of any platform. They need to be front and center. And exactly what it is that we need for our people to exist need to be on that, that platform. Absolutely. I want to thank my guest tonight, Angela Jones-Hackley, Senator uh, Roger Smitherman, and Dr. Pamela Pugh. Each week I close uh, by asking you, our listeners, what's at stake for you and your family? And then I tell you uh, to identify it and then attack it. This COVID-19, the census, 2020 census, and the November elections, in my opinion, it's what's at stake for Black America. It's also at stake for America as a nation. But if you believe that the past three and a half years have been of great benefit to you, then you clearly don't have a problem with more than a half a million people dying, excuse me, a half a million people being infected by this virus and over 25,000 people dying from something that we knew was coming and we could have prevented. The increase in the numbers of deaths could have been prevented had we only acted sooner rather than worrying about 15 and going to zero and disappear. However, if you see this problem with handling this national pandemic with no matter, as no matter what, then you have to get out there and act. You need to register to vote at your current location. You need to, I don't care if you just voted two weeks ago, re-register at that same location because they will try to purge 
election data and try to get rid of you. You must then also be sure to respond to that census because in every state, there is going to be a redistrict and a reapportionment. And what's going to happen is that Republicans will continue to draw districts like they have in Wisconsin, where there's a 30-seat lead that they have, regardless of how many Democrats vote, they will continue to have a majority in that state house where they will send people out to vote in the middle of a pandemic to ensure that they keep control. You have to make sure you go online, you count yourself, whatever it is. If you've got no census at your house or not, go online to census.gov and register and make yourself county. And then you need to request an absentee ballot and vote early in every state. Vote the entire ballot, vote the entire ticket. I don't care if it's a dog catcher on the list, you vote for his behind because you want to make sure he's catching the right dogs for the right fight. Otherwise, you're going to have the wrong president sitting in this place. And i got to ask you a question. Think of it this way. You've already seen what he's done in this three months of this pandemic. What do you think he would do in the next year of a pandemic? If you're comfortable with that, then sure, go right ahead. You vote for this test tube, baby, and you be the Petri dish that he's coming out of. Otherwise, you better go out there and do something different. I don't always say it. I always want to tell you guys to come out and join us. Subscribe to Black Politics Today online at blackpoliticstoday.com. Join us in our publication. Become a subscriber of our publication. Dr. Pugh, you need to be a writer on our publication. Senator, I need you as a writer on our publication. Angela, you can be a writer. I need everybody out there writing okay. articles and telling okay. African-Americans what's at stake for us because it is the only way we're going to learn and understand. Black Politics Today is the only magazine out here that's talking about the social, economic, and political impact of African-Americans. And in fact, it's the first and only black political news magazine that we've ever had. And to think of that in 2020 is saying something where we are. Wow. Again, I want to thank my guests tonight, Angela Hackley, Senator Roger Smitherman, and Dr. Pamela Pugh. If it's something that's going on in America, it's Black Politics Day. Until next week, good night. Good night. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Black Politics Today on I for What's at Stake in Global Politics with your host, Kelly Michael Williams. Join us live each Monday from 7 to 8 p.m. Until next time, follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, and download us on iTunes at Black Politics Today. <laughs>